Welcome back to the Turn Row Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Ethan. And with me, as always, is Kevin. Hello, everybody. And today we have one returning guest, and I can't remember if the other one has been on, but we have Rob and Jason, our two VPs of CropQuest. So, Rob, say hi to the people. Howdy. And Jason. Good morning. So, um, Kevin, why don't you kind of lead into what you're what we're going to do today, uh, kind of a follow-up on a meeting we had uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, so uh, this past year, we had the opportunity of um, visiting with Randy Dowdy twice. We had once at our uh, our yearly meetings, we had him come in and speak to our group of agronomists, as well as we put on another meeting or hosted a meeting for uh, our producers in Dodge City, Kansas, where he came and presented to farmers. And so we thought we'd just uh, get a group of us together and kind of put together some takeaways that we all got from his presentation um, and see what kind of discussion spurs from that. So, so yeah, we, we try to get a little bit of a diverse group with uh, different backgrounds with the guests that we brought on today. Um, so, um, Kevin, where should we start with this? Well, I think we probably should have Jason introduce himself since yeah. he's a, a new guest. Okay. And uh, go from there. So, Jason? I'm Jason Hooper. I am the East Region Vice President of CropQuest. And uh, been with, let's see, responsible don't, for everybody. Don't age yourself. Don't age yourself. Don't age myself. But I can age yeah, I'm much younger than Rob. <laughs> oh, man. All Shots. knives are out now. Shots fired. <laughs> yeah, the Neanderthal will speak soon. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead but but i need his wisdom at times to help me through things too <laughs> so um i'm located in northeast kansas responsible for the east region of crop quest which takes on a lot of kansas and oklahoma and the other chunk of kansas rob overseas yeah and actually jason started out and is part of our tech group um and then when a position came available, took the regional position. So he's got, he's got more of a tech support background as well as a family farm background. That is correct. So, and then to uh, counterbalance, Jason, we have the, the wild man, Rob. So <laughs> you, may, you may remember Rob from a previous episode. I get I get a bad bad reputation, but yes, I'm uh, West Region Vice President. Uh, been on here once before. Enjoyed the podcast. Uh, our territory is mainly the High Plains. I've been blessed to work with some very progressive producers over the years, and uh, enjoy living here in Ulysses, Kansas. And yeah, just glad to be back. And got a few points that I took away from Randy Dowdy that that. Um, I think producers can always benefit from something when you have a, a meeting. So, yeah. So this is why we, we brought these two guys in is you have Jason from more of the technology side. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit different than just uh, having spent years in the field. Uh, and then you have Rob with a different kind of grower, large growers, limited water. So it's just different, you know, environmentally a um, little bit different background in what they've worked. So, and then Kevin and I, obviously from South Texas and Southwest Kansas have a little bit of twist. So we kind of got a, a panel of different views. So 
this this is why we chose these guests. But uh, all right, Kevin. So let's dive into the meat and potatoes and the flag test of this. Uh, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> so let, let, get us rolling, man. Well, I think uh, to start out, we better do a further, um, maybe a little bit of a background story for Randy Dowdy. Um, Randy Dowdy is known for his yield grower uh, contest. He is an avid winner. I don't know. Um, Ethan, do you know? He's he's won it two or three times. I don't remember. I know this last year he had 500 bushel corn. Um. It, yes, it was in the 500 bushel. And, 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 I, I don't think it was very – I think it was under 520, but still. And he also he, – so he holds the record in corn and then did hold it in beans, I believe. I think he did – I think he won beans this year and got second yeah. in corn maybe. I think it's what it so, is. So uh, th- that's kind of Randy's story. Um, he didn't – like he grew up near and around farms, but um, – He's a first-generation farmer. Is oh, he is. Yeah, yeah. First-generation yeah. farmer. Yeah. Um, worked in law enforcement for a while and then uh, and so that's his background and when it comes to his philosophies and stuff he is pushing it um you know to know more but is also as well uh to help him in the yield contest so um i guess you know with that backstory i guess rob since you started off with the question we'll uh start with you um one of the things that i don't if, if nobody has listen to Randy Dowdy, you know, there's a wide opinion of, of what you can take away. But one thing that he does challenge you is to maybe think outside the box. And, you know, he's not necessarily promoting every single thing he does, but there's certain things that you can take away. And, and for, for instance, I had a farmer that attended this meeting and I was at his shop a month ago and he was working on some precision planning starter units and he had enough to put uh, a starter on each side of the row and that was one takeaway that randy dowdy uh, touted that having starter on one side of the corn plant in his opinion he did some research and and he rigged up to put starter on both sides of the corn let's say on corn or whatever crop and he's seen a benefit and my producer has spent the money and we're going to do some tests on different things he can shut one row off but we're going to he's got his over his whole rig set up so, long so he, story has, short, he has one of those going, every every row rob yes he has it on each side of the on a 30 inch row he has a starter on each side and we can mix and match and he's going to put some okay. he's also going to put some fertilizer in the row as well and he's pretty aggressive but we're going to we're going to take it to yield we're going to have some spots where i told him let's shut it off you know from the center of the pivot out to one edge and let's do a block like two passes, you know, with different things, you know, none, uh, one side, uh, no fertilizer in the row and then fertilizer on both sides of the row with fertilizer in the row. And, you know, that's expensive. So he's, he's made a big step, but he took that away. And I'm just using that as an example of one thing that, you know, sometimes you pick up something out of a meeting and, and for him, it, it, he was pretty excited about it and, and he stepped up the plate and is spending some big bucks, but. Well, Rob, he, let me ask you this. When you're doing that, are you doing, whether it's on one side or two sides, is that the same rate, but halved or is that. We, we talked about that, Ethan. Um, 
his his fertility program is pretty high anyway. He's in a manure program to where about every two to three years he'll he'll put on sixteen to twenty ton of cow manure. So his fossil levels are pretty high anyway. So I think what we're going to do, he, he doesn't want to probably go more than about 20 gallons of total mixture. And that's in the furrow and them two on side. So we're probably going to do like three gallons of 1034 on each side. So that's getting you a little over 20 pounds. And then he'll mix some nitrogen. And we talked about a little bit of, of sulfur and, and uh, as a boost as well. So he's going to make a pre-mix and then underneath the corn, he can. We're not going to put a lot of salt, a lot of nitrogen down, but we are going to put a little bit of fertility underneath that corn as well. But his total mixture is probably going to be, which is quite a bit, is 20 gallons total, and that'll be split uh, depending on how he wants to do it. He has a, a tank for the infurrow, and he has a tanks for each side, or you know, for the the mixture, so we can mix and match. And we uh, he's he's working with a or a, with a a retail outfit to make a mixture for him, but somewhere around a probably no more than 20 pounds of foss. We're probably going to have you know seven to ten pounds of sulfur, a little potash, and then maybe a few micros, and with that make a blend. And he's using uh, precision planning's um, what do they call it? Is it it's that winged uh, thing that yes. shoots fertilizer on either side and down in the row or yes. in the in the slice? Yes. That's what he's put under the seed. Yeah, yeah. And he has that, and he has he has the down pressure as well. The the whatever they call that delta is it delta force? I might be wrong on that. Whatever no, that. it's um, I forget. It's yeah, it's not delta force. That's no, because delta force is the the down so, pressure. Yeah, he has that because he has a lot of residue, but he has the that system as well. Precision's uh, pretty much that planter's been redone. You know, the the boxes have been you know fitted. So he's pretty committed to, you know, that's just one thing. And then the other we can talk about, somebody else can talk, is, is the emergence. That was a big key uh, takeaway. Uh, well, I'll let talk. You know, that was a big part of Randy's um, whole deal was, like we're talking, he's always challenging your way of thinking. And not necessarily that you have to do it across the whole field, but maybe spend five, ten acres of, of test ground to test and not break the bank, but to try to experiment and see um, what comes of it. And a lot of what he did was <laughs> he was on the other end of the spectrum, like, well, I'm going to see if I can kill it. <laughs> you know, let's, let's just see how far we can go, you know, because then we know we need to dial back after that point, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's just a different approach, you know, um, but but it, it it's a test. So what were you going to say, Jason? I say that you know the main takeaway on on that whole whole speech would be you know pay attention to your planter past whether That's it's sure. whether it's the fertility or the seeding rates or the seed spacing um, you know find a way to fine tune your planter past the best you can with the equipment you have or the equipment you need to purchase to to do what you want to do um, each you, each producer has their limitations with their equipment or their finances and so you gotta make it as precise as you can there was a lot of talk about essentially going back to the basics some of the basics that are forgotten you know um, a lot of times you jump in the field you make sure it's set and you roll and 
in in the farmer side of his presentation, it was more get into the specific, make sure your your depth is right. And like Jason said, you, even though your planters wore out, figure out where your planter is planting so that you can place the seed in the right spot and, ma and make sure you're doing it correctly. Yeah, and um, you know, we talked a lot about making sure your planter's uniform, the parallel linkage, of course, you know, make sure that planter's set and straight. And then in the shop, if you have a slab, put those gauge wells up on blocks and then measure measure that point down and make sure that your planter is, is planting uniform because another topic was the emergence of your corn, you know, trying to uh, ensure that your corn comes up as close as possible to all the rest of the corn is a huge factor. And I think we all agree on that. Yeah, well, I think he said deal. within three days, right? They, they should know more than three days. Otherwise, it's a, a yield drag, I guess, or that, that plant is a net, or is essentially a weed. <clears throat> um, some of the tests they had weighed and went back and forth on, and there was a 50 to 150 bushel yield difference per row across the plant. That was super interesting that, that he took, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, one one thousandth of an acre for every planter row and then hand harvested every row to get a yield by row. Very interesting. A lot of, a lot of hand harvesting. Yeah, but I mean, it would show you exactly the nuts and bolts of what you got. Yep. Versus, you know, taking the, well, when we get yield data, it's, it's 12 rows at a time, 16 rows, eight rows at a time, six rows at a time. You know, you, you, you'd never get it down to the um, to the Perot. This this area where there's a lot of odd shaped fields in northeast Kansas, year after year, you can see which producers have their row shutoffs working appropriately. Mm -hmm. If you look from above, either from an airplane or satellite image, you see all the gaps where they didn't plant, where the planter turned off too soon or didn't turn on soon enough. It's a, from the road, you don't see it. But right. from, the, from above, you can see huge areas that are missing year after year. You know, it's interesting. I think since I've been doing this, I, I can't say that I've ever, I know the planters get, go, they, they go through them in the shop, the farmers do, but it's something, a piece that isn't done with a fine tooth comb where I know that Rob probably spent a lot of time in his early years when <laughs> physically go through all the planners and make sure they're right. And, and that art has been lost. Yeah. I we mean, don't it's kind of more yeah. of a, Hey, let's go. We don't do that quite as much. And I think from, from the time we switched from like, let's say flood irrigated, there was a lot of flood irrigation up, up in this part of the world to sprinkler irrigated. It was easy just to say all the heck with it. We're just going to put it in. We're going to start the damn water anyway. We'll get it all up, you know, and, and that's somewhat true. But, you know, the seed depth could vary from a half inch to two and a half inches. If you're, if you're running through that field six and a half plus mile an hour because you're in a hurry versus slowing down and maybe going five, four and a half, five mile an hour, which that's all depending on how late you are. You know, it is easy to fix it with sprinkler, but that doesn't cure the emergence. Well, and when you're, if your soils are fairly uniform across the field, you know, you can set your down pressure. If, if you don't have an automatic down pressure setting, you know, you can set it and it'll be pretty consistent. But uh, there's a lot of fields that, you know, you're, you're going to run from a tight clay to a silt loam to sand all in the same 
field. And so if you don't have anything adjusting your down pressure, you, you're going to have to adjust, make it pretty heavy to get it to mm -hmm. get the seed in deep enough in all conditions. Most of the time in Northeast Kansas or anywhere in Eastern Kansas, it's uh, too wet to do that in certain areas of your field. And you have some major sidewall compaction. Yeah. Yeah, and that was that was another takeaway is is make sure that the planting conditions are right, even if you have to wait. You know, as, as obviously there that is true to a point, because if you've got say thirty circles to get through, you got to start sometime. Or if you've got fifty fields, you've got to start sometime. But well, and you got to take that with a grain of salt because he farms in South Georgia. Like, and that's, it's very similar to South Texas where we can wait. It's okay. If we're late, we have, well, a but Ethan, Ethan, you say that, and I've seen it where people push out here in Southwest Kansas and we're planting wet sidewall compaction, all this, that, the other. And in the end of the, it, when all the dust settles, the later planted stuff did better when the planting conditions presented itself. And probably because it, it emerged quite very evenly. Well, yeah, it's get you know, obviously we fight early on, um, a little more variable emerging conditions because of soil temperatures. You know, you get a lot of seed that curls around itself and then the later planted it gets, it just comes out and grows like a rocket and doesn't stop. Yeah. And that's, you know, we plant corn around Valentine's day here. And so we have those really, I mean, that, that is our cold weather, you know, I know it's not cold for some people, but um, yeah. It's I mean, 30, it'll 31 degrees here this morning, Ethan. Yeah. You know, snow on the ground. Yeah, we've we've had a cool front the last couple of weeks. It was in the forties, but it'll be. I mean, it'll be in the, it's just a classic example. Uh, East here, Haskell County started last week, and the average soil temperature two inches down was about sixty degrees. Now we hit Sunday uh, Easter's when the front hit, and from Friday to Monday, the soil temperature dropped to forty or in the low forties. And now we've been bumping 40s to maybe getting close to 50 again all week long. And there's corn that was germinated that's just been sitting there on a roller coaster ride. And that, in my opinion, can really ding your, your emergence. Yeah. And so, yeah, it went from 60 to 40 in less than four days. It's just crazy. But same, everybody's same jumping down. Yep. It, it, it was almost 60 and it's down to 40. Just yep. turn the pivot on and warm the soil up. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could. Don't we don't have that 80 degree water coming. Yeah, no doubt. 2,000 feet or whatever you have. Mother Nature turned the pivot on last night and it was 32 degree water. <laughs> yeah. We met, we measured one uh, temperature, of, uh, uh, well temperature a couple weeks ago and it was 109. Are you serious? I just, I, yeah. it was hot tub water. <laughs> it's quite pleasant. <laughs> That's crazy. But man now that that's kind of an outlier that's a 30 yeah that's a 3500 foot well man so most of them are just in the low 90s so but we will do that kind of heat the sand up a little bit so Woo. but staying on the germination <laughs> <Yeah>. topic <laughs> even germination sorry guys rob do you want to do you want to speak about the the flag test that we were joking about uh yeah i was wondering when you were going to bring that up yeah. i yeah, that's kind of a segue into emergence. Uh, Randy is—I don't know if he's the originator of the flag test, is he, or is he not? No, um, I, I, 
Well, he might be of that, but I know that I've heard some um, precision planning uh, presentation stuff, and they they recommend doing flag tests and such, but I don't know if it's the extent that he goes to. Yeah, basically the flag test is you. He takes a. Is there so many feet a row? I don't remember. Or is he, he just. I think it's still the one thousand. You know, yeah. seventeen and a half feet. Seventeen and a half feet. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, yep. thirty inch row would be seventeen and a half feet. If it's twenty, it'd be different. Mm -hmm. And he evaluates when the first spikes start to emerge, and that's not that's when they're up, not flinking the crust off and and cheating a little bit. But you you mark the first set. And he goes 12 hours, right? Most most of us probably yeah, can yes. go about it. Every day. 12 hours. And every 12 hours, he will come back and mark the next set With until all the corn is up. And he has a whole set of different flags, and he's mm -hmm. monitoring the percent. And that's where we're getting back to making sure that planter is uniform and, and as close as it can be to planting uniform. And then he'll hand harvest those rows, and that's those, if it's a 12 row, He'll harvest those 12 rows and, and weigh them and, and get a percent. And Hooper, jump in because you're more technical. And maybe he's he's harvesting uh, each row, I'm assuming. Is that right? Yeah. And, then, and if I remember right, yeah. And, and what he would do is he would actually compare, like, ears within the flags. So you could actually see the difference the later the emergence. You know, so you yeah, can actually physically see it. Yeah, mm -hmm. if there's barren ears and uh, yeah, put it all put it all on a spreadsheet and yeah, run the math from there. Yeah, yeah. So and I guess we're going to have a flag test crop quest is on. I I didn't say I was going to participate, but there's certain people that are pretty technical that like to do that. We're going to have a few tests of our own across the company. I think I'm going to do one on cotton and see if there's any correlation to cotton. If there's a a fruiting load difference, you know, do the exact same thing, but instead of comparing ears, comparing uh, bowl set with emergence, just to see if that test, you know, goes to different, goes to different yeah. crops, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and that's a good point. He, the, he doesn't, we're, we're speaking about corn, but he does this with soybeans and, and other yeah. crops that, um, that he plants as well. Yeah. Corn so, is easy because you can grab the ears and shell them pretty easy. Beans, yeah. yeah. I'd hate to do Well, beans. in fact, I think he did mention cotton, and he said that they actually um, – I forget how they made it to a harvest. I don't know how he quantified it, but they were they did it somehow. Yeah. Like per plant. Yeah, you could do bowl counts. Typically – I mean, it depends on variety. Typically, um, you, divide, you take bowl counts, divide it by 10. Every 10th bowl on 30-inch centers are – about a bale. Okay. But that, I don't know. So you know, certain companies have, are getting smaller seeded varieties. So there's smaller seed in the bowl. So it's actually kind of like uh, nine bowls, you know, but mm -hmm. the, the tried and true standard has always been 10 bowls, but it's, it's skewed um, a little bit nowadays um, because of seed size. But I was just curious. I don't know. But yeah. To be honest, when, the flag test challenge was issued in CropQuest. My corn was eight leaf. So the, the, <laughs> you're an overachiever. Yeah, I, was like, I was a little past being able to, to participate. 
well, how do I do cotton in this kind of yeah, right. <laughs> my spreadsheet? Like, hey, boys, look what I did. You, know? <laughs> you can do your second corn crop whenever you harvest this one. You can do your second one. Yeah, that's not bad. We should have a decent amount of fall corn this year. So I don't know why. I mean, the price is terrible, but um, we we need it in some rotation. Yeah, but um, and the, the question I have for you on the flag test is: each twelve hours, is that a different color? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And you heart, I mean, the color is a group. So you yes. put all the, the blues together, the greens together, the reds together. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I would run out of flags. I'd run out of patience, but that's why I'm probably not <laughs> doing one. I'm, I think that goes to the more technical people and, and it's very <laughs> difficult for me to get into the weeds that deep. So I mean, that's why we have a wide range of agronomists that, that, uh, and we all complement each other very well. I have it would be a lot easier on our end to do every 24 hours. Yeah. Once a day, go go back on that limited plot because we have a few other things to do than just work on a flag test in the spring. Well, I mean, and just logistically, we're working on multiple farms every day, and we can't, you know, we may be too far spread out to hit it every 12 hours. And you need to find a, yeah, find something close to your house or close to when you leave. That way you can go see it every day because, yeah, when we're dealing with thousands of acres, it's, pretty difficult for us to drive 30 miles just to go pop a few flags in. I'm not saying it's not important. It's just, it makes it very difficult. Well, you know, it, it is ingenious in a way though, because it, it's, it's forcing you to take a look at the basics and the benefits of doing the little things right that are in your control, you know, that take weather and take all that other stuff off the table and, you know, did it, well, I mean, I guess weather's included, but did it come up right? Was the seating depth right? And you can control a lot of those factors. Then what can we, you know, figure out what you can change for the next year, for the next, for the next planning run. What's for sure. What's there that can be fixed. And I have a a grower that I'm thinking about doing this cotton on. His son is a senior or was a senior in high school. And with Corona, is not going to school. I'm thinking I need (laughs) to get him like, you know, pay him and have him go do it. Here's 50 bucks. Can you do this for me? You know, that makes a good point though, Ethan, that we have certain producers that are pretty technical and they're interested in it. It's a whole lot easier for them if it's on their farm to maybe uh, do that every, they could even do it on a 12 hour, you know, especially like you said, had a son or, or daughter that's, that's working on a farm or a hired man, they could monitor that. I mean, but maybe it's, you know, somebody that, pretty technical in themselves because you just don't want to go out there and throw flags out you want to get down and you're going to have to get down on your hands and knees and look for that spike you know and sometimes it's hard to see if we're talking a corn or a milo or whatever it is but you know we could throw that there's producers that are interested in that and that's something they could do on their own farm yeah and then you could come at the end of the year and help them with the yield stuff get them set up help them finish up test it yep and weigh it so a joint venture Joint yeah. venture. Yep. <laughs> yep. I would have run out of color. Hooper should try it. Are you going to? I thought about it. Haven't got yeah. one set up yet. But okay. Yeah. We're going to running whenever the snow melts near me. Yeah, you probably the permafrost is still. <laughs> There's a lot of corn on the ground close to me, Ethan. Actually, it's even more soybeans in the ground at the moment. Well, that's you know talking to John Heck, you always it sounds like the soybeans are just starting to move ahead of the corn and planting in eastern area. So there is areas. depends there, on the producer yield benefit, but there's a high risk for doing it. 
hey, sometimes you just got to let them roll, man. So, all right, what else do we have with Randy Dowdy that you gentlemen – I only attended the first meeting. I didn't go to the second one because it was in the middle of corn planting for us. So, anyway, what's another topic, Kevin, that uh, we can have – Do you have anything, Jason, that you can – I know that he had brought up managing corn by GDUs. Um, oh, something yeah. a lot of us yeah, yeah. Um, have thought about but haven't done a lot of, haven't, you know, kept track of what is the corn stage you know, of, of the corn right now and what do I normally treat it for at this GDU. But he challenged us to, to manage our corn by GDUs. Well, and let's, let's go back and maybe explain that a little bit to some of our listeners. You know, the GDU is growing degree day units, and that's heat that is calculated – that is accumulated uh, by crop and those coefficients change um, from crop to crop, but it's basically a universal way to say um, more detailed, I guess you could even say, so, you know, you have a number, a growing degree day number that you follow rather than, Oh, this is 12 leaf corn that spans, you know, that growth stage can span over a week. It could be over a couple of days, but it's just more of a detailed way. Um, because from year to year, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, your, your growing degree day could be different than your um, actual growth stage. But didn't he comment that if you had all corn, if let's say corn, just use corn for example, or we can use cotton or whatever, but as corn, if it's three leaf corn, he, if correct me if I'm wrong, cause I may, I may have not got this completely that if you have like, let's say three leaf corn, it will always have the same amount of growing degree days at three leaf. And he tracks how long did it take, how many days it got to get to three leaf. But if you have three leaf corn or five leaf corn, all GDUs will be, a, it takes X amount of GDUs to reach that growth stage. And then he that's tracks how long it takes to get there based on the, the coolness or whatever. But that's how he, uh, in his, followers that he has they they talk a lot about gdus and it and and it's all the same stage you know if it's three leaf it'd be x amount of gdus to to get there is that correct is that i i think you are right now that i'm thinking about it it's been a day or two since we've <laughs> revisited this but i think you're right and this is, this is my hang up with gdus is i think it's a tool to gauge when you can apply something but I think you can't get too hung up on it because there's nothing you can do about it. For sure. You know, well, exactly right. there's one Correct. crop that I can do something about GDUs. I can spray sombrero on watermelons. It is literally a sunscreen we put on watermelons if it's too hot. Other than that, I cannot do that to anything else. Yeah. He, he made a comment though. Let's say we're spraying a herbicide and, and him and his, his group that he has, Hey, at, at let's say, 500 GDUs, if, let's say that might be three leaf or four or six leaf, I don't know. We had a, a good response to either a fungicide at that growing degree day. You know, he, he's, he's made a, a bank of uh, spreadsheets on certain products, let's say fungicides or herbicides, and, and they base it on the GDUs, and, they, and they, they base it like, hey, we had our best response at X amount of GDUs on this corn. And then it takes the it takes out the well it was mine five leaf six leaf or seven leaf and that's I think that's what he was going after when he talked about that whether we agree with it or not yeah it's a measuring a device to it, yeah. it gives you a trigger point to say hey this is when I put such and such type product out 
but I've hit this number on this crop. So to give you your most usefulness of that product. Yeah. And then I can get behind. I mean that that makes a lot of sense. It's a more accurate growth stage of what it is. Yeah, it's more it's a it's a very detailed growth stage. I'm like Ethan, I never really I think a lot of us never really paid attention that close to GDU. I'm because I was like Keith, there ain't nothing I can do about it. I just the corn's wherever it's at at this day, and next week it might be more, it might be less. But yeah, I see. Well, and you'll be limited on your application of those products based on what the weather is at that point in time. Yeah, because if you have less GDUs, it's probably because you've been raining the last, you know, so many hours. So well, there's, yeah, there's a temperature or weather reason for it. Yeah, so. If say if you have clay soils, you need another hundred degree, hundred GDUs to put out your um, fungicide. Say it is. Well, you may just have to go ahead and do it because if it, you know, if you have a clay soil, you're going to get an inch and a half of rain, and you're going to slow those GDUs down. Well, you may hit those GDUs before you have an application window when you could get back in. Yeah, you know, so. It's a good tool. In my opinion, it's a good tool. It's a very accurate growth stage, but you can't get lost in the weeds. You have to look at the whole picture because having a fungicide out close to that point is still better than not having one at all. If the, if, you know, or whatever, if it's a herbicide, whatever you're, I'm just kind of using fungicide as a placeholder in the, you know, but anyway, that's what I think. But so it, it, it is interesting. It's just a, off-center approach i guess to us consultants that are used to you know I, i'm gonna maybe a stand you know the standard method of one leaf two leaf three leaf you know way of thinking yeah you know what would be interesting though is if labels were labeled that way if they were labeled in gdus how accurate would you be able to tell a grower like hey you know uh lotus is at 625 GDUs. That's it. No more. After that, you're done. Yeah, that would be. It actually would make it a little bit easier because you're like, meh. Is this 12 leaf? Is this 11 leaf? You know, like I mean, it's cut and dry. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to kind of know where in your area how what your GDUs are in your particular geography. But yeah, mm -hmm. you make a good point, Ethan. Like Caprino has a like a five or six leaf cutoff on corn. Well. You know, do you count the seed and leaf plus plus five, which I used to never count the seed and leaf, you know, but now I have to because the industry counts that seed and leaf as a first leaf. So I always get confused, you know, when that cutoff is, but you'd have to dang sure know your GDUs in your particular area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'd have to, which, you know, you'd have to subscribe to some type of service. And I don't know if the infrastructure that is there everywhere, um, to provide you with those accurate numbers, you know. Well, are we are we working on that through uh, Paramount or or Cirrus or we talked something about it. I don't know if you have any information on that or or not. Well, you know, the only thing you need is temperatures to calculate it. So you know, you can calculate it yourself. You just have to know your minimum and maximum in the formula to do it. Um, yeah. We we are in our Paramount app. We are actually. Um, using weather data to calculate GDUs and going to be able to present that on a report so that, so that we can follow it just to, to see what it, or, you know, how, how we see it, I guess. So we're going to have to enter a planning date 
pretty close. Is that right? But to have our planning date set. Well, but your growing degree units are accumulating right now, you know, uh, regardless, because it's just, I don't remember. It's 50, I think for corn, you know, so you, um, so it's just a matter of looking at temperatures and seeing how many growing degree units you've accumulated because you have to accumulate, let's say, I'm going to throw a number out there, 500 for corn to emerge. Right. So it doesn't really matter when you plant. It's just where we're at in the GDU how many growing degree units for corn have we accumulated now based on the formula? So can you like spread your corn out on a large tray in the sun and acquire some GDUs and then put it? <laughs> sure. You know, you know, sure. That's, that's how you plant rice. You put it in big tote bags and put a garden hose in it pre-germinated. You know? that's real <laughs> so maybe we could pre-prime uh, the GDU pump, so to speak, on a tray. You know, but I don't think it works that way. Don't do that. So, uh, so we talked a little bit about the flag test. We went down GDUs, talk about fertility, um, emergence. I know we're kind of getting close to our time constraint, but what else? Do you uh, have anything else, Jason, you can think of? Those were the, the big kickers. I mean, he, he had talked about, you know, optimal seeding rates would be about the, the other, the other point that I could come up with. I mean, he, he, he put on corn, you know, 10 bushel per acre per thousand seeds planted would be what, you know, something that they would aim for. But say that again. 10, 10 bushel per thousand. 10, yeah, bushel, per thousand. Okay. 10 bushel per thousand. And we do have some, uh, for instance, uh, some of the channel varieties, they have spoke like that um, in that realm before that you should be getting 10 bushel per thousand. And, I remember right Jason he said that if you're not getting 10 bushel per thousand you're planning too thick <laughs> is basically that's, what he was saying that's but, what he was saying and yeah. he, he wouldn't reveal exactly what he himself was getting but that that was his generic aim that if he couldn't meet that um level that something was wrong that's but it's still hard to put your beanie brain around him because some of that he was hitting what almost 500 bushel is that right yes right. 500 bushel so, and what what we were gathering was probably planting somewhere between forty and forty five thousand, maybe. Well, I don't know. I mean, if if well, I mean, I guess little, it's, that would be it's making a huge thousand population. Mm -hmm. But if you want just to shoot for good old boy standards, you know, twenty seven thousand to thirty thousand. If we could hit three hundred bushel on thirty thousand, which you know, is not out of the realm if you got a good flexure. Yeah, and you're good. Right. I mean, we, we we bump close up here to 300. I mean, we we can do it, but and I I think that's okay. But boy, I have a hard time once you get up to 38,000. You know, we're not making 380 bushel corn. I don't know what we're, you know, that's that's the tough one, the next level. And that's what he calls the next level. And I I don't know, but yeah, that's a good point, Uber. I don't know. That's uh, well, and that would be maximizing what the plant can do where there's usually limitations that have been given to us some way or another in our environments that are not letting us get to that 10 bushel per thousand. For sure. And you usually want a buffer of uh, making sure you're not at the minimum limiting your yield um, for your area. If you limit your planting so far that you can't hit what the rainfall happens and you hurt yourself before you even started. So that's that fine line of yeah. economic 
threshold or the economic or population, you know, what you're bang for your buck. Well, you know, and it's interesting that um, I guess two things along that realm that I picked up is number one, um, his fertility program or his fertility load up front, you know, is not dictated on a yield goal. His fertility load is based on the flag test and the germination and how he sees um, the field. If he fe- if he feels like it, it's emerged enough and it has the potential, then it's pushed. And then it gets into a different realm than, let's say, another field that didn't germinate so well um, on, on the standard, and so it won't get pushed as much. And that was an interesting take because – a lot of our fertility stuff is all done up front based on a number, you know, based on a, a yield goal. And we don't have enough time in this podcast to talk about the tissue sampling. Right, right. Some of the things that he does, which, you know, some of it I agree, some of it I disagree, but I, yeah, that's going to, that would take a whole nother hour to talk about fertility and, and tissue sampling and, and fine tuning your crop and, I, you know, in this day and age, a $3 corn or cotton at below 50 or whatever, it's pretty tough to, you know, throw the kitchen sink at a bunch of fields. We got to, you know, go back to maybe a little common sense agronomy and, and farming, just, you know, do what we need to do, but let's, you know, the margins are pretty tight. So, you know, so if I recall correctly, his base fertility levels were, rather high in comparison to many of the fertility levels we'll find in producers fields. Yeah. Yeah. And I also wonder too, how much his crop rotation helps. You know, he's growing peanuts, he's growing soybeans, he's growing. Well, exactly. I mean, he has a, like you said, he has a rotation. If I do recall right, they plant corn and then they'll turn around and plant beans. Am I thinking right? Like it's, they, they plant, basically they have two crops every year. Yeah. So that's like us. We average 1.5 crops per, per 12 months. That's a, a really good baseline. So, so. When, when you, when you, when you plant corn, then you turn around and plant beans. I mean, that's vastly different than, than us doing, you know, one, one crop focusing on one crop. Cause that's all we have in, in a growing season or, you know, availability to do in a growing season. What, what I, I would be curious too, with, with, um, I guess it's different that I kind of deal with that maybe you guys don't. Um, we have very active soils. So when the, we have we don't have much organic matter because our soils are alive. You know, you cut corn in July, and if it lays out, it's just chewing stuff up. Yeah. Whether, you know what I mean? So I think a lot of – I don't know this, but I'm, I'm curious if why he's not growing multiple crops. Is this to try to build organic matter? Because when you're – I'm pretty sure on the same uh, latitude, we're fairly similar, him and I. I don't think I'm that much further south than him. Um, uh, that's the best way to build organic matter is just put another crop on it. Now, whether yeah. that's a cover crop, whether that's a, car- a crop you're going to take to harvest or um, a limited crop where, you know, we'll maybe cut a little milo or so, whatever, whatever the case may be, um, you know, um, I think that that helps him a lot where, um, and you, I think that also in our situations, him and I, we have a more alive 
more a, a more diverse biome of the soil from a microbe standpoint, they don't they don't have much of a time to die. For sure. You know, they may go dormant a little bit, but they don't truly die. Where um, the microorganisms in the soil in in Kansas are uh, completely different. You know, you're going to have a more of a cycle with them, and they're not going to. You, you see what I'm saying? That mm-hmm. that harsh winter really stops them, and uh, maybe when you plant corn and you go from 60 degree soil temps to 40, uh, maybe some of them shut down, you know? So early season, maybe that, uh, that active soil microism, soil microorganisms, um, maybe you don't have as much as this say I do or Randy does. And maybe that helps or limit some of your fertilizer or, or whatever, whatever the case may be. I have no idea how to prove any of that. Well, but it's true because you go very far north and it's the opposite. Their soils are very immature because they freeze. Yeah. They freeze and and everything gets basically stored until it unthaws. And then, um, you know, they have huge, huge organic matter. (laughs) We'll never never see those kind of numbers in any of our soil tests. One can only dream. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know what I'd do if I saw 10% organic matter on a soil test. Yeah, there's a reason why they're... <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a reason why they, their four-wheelers have fire extinguishers because they're <laughs> driving through eight feet of corn stalks. You know? <laughs> so, anyway. Well, guys, I know we're kind of bumping on some time. Um, is there any any closing remarks we should get to, Kevin, when we have these guys on? I really appreciate y'all coming on. This was This was great. I got one take home. Colt made a good point. Uh, if you're going to try something radical, you don't do it on a whole farm. You do it, you know, try something, run a test on your own farm. That's the only way you know. Just because one farmer, you know, let's say, make 300 bushel corn doing X every time, make sure you test it out. You know, you don't want to go hog wild. I mean, you got a few producers that will. You know, there's producers that are going to want to jump in and try something. But just limit your your own experience and and see what works on your own farm. That's the last take home I have. Yeah. Be willing to try something new, but don't do it yourself. You know, don't get hung up on what the, the neighbor's doing, but experiment on your own farm in a small scale. Yeah. So that, that rounds it up perfectly. So, well, cool guys. Colt, can you give, uh, give the, the listeners where they can reach us at? Uh, yes, you can find us uh, on Facebook uh, just under CropQuest. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at CropQuest Inc. And you can email us at media at CropQuest.com. All right, guys. I appreciate y'all y'all coming on the podcast today. This was a good one. Hopefully we can get you uh, twist your arm and get you to come back. So thank you, everybody, and we'll see you all next time. See you, everyone. See you later. Have a good one. Our business is knowing the business of growing. We take pride in your success, being better than the rest. Crop West.